Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. This is your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Jim Engel, uh, who created a lot of the artwork you might recognize from when you were a kid if you grew up with the original era of Turtle Mania. Uh, but he's also been a part of uh, a lot of our childhoods. So, Jim, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I love to talk about all this old stuff. Yeah, I, I guess to get started, I would love to hear when you got into illustrating and how you found your way into the business. Like, if you sure. don't mind giving us a... No, not at all. Um, next year, what's next year? 2024 will be 50 years for me um, working as a professional artist. Um, I, I got out of high school in 1974, and I got a job that summer at an ad agency as an art apprentice. And I spent a little time there, and then I went from there to a greeting card company in Chicago where I uh, illustrated greeting cards, ended up writing greeting cards, and then um, I did a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with Maggie Thompson from, used to be from the uh, comics buyers guy, but she told me once that like, I was like the Carl Barks of stickers to her kids because they didn't know who who the stuff was by, but they would always look for my stuff. Um, I did a ton of that. And then that involved some licensed properties. So at that time, um, we licensed Gumby, we licensed um, King Features characters like Hair the Horrible, Beetle Bailey, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then some old movie comedians like W.C. Fields and um, Laurel and Hardy and the Three Stooges. And I did artwork for all that stuff. So that was sort of me getting my, my first um, taste of doing licensed character stuff. When I left that job, um, I went to a toy company here in Chicago too, and they were strictly licensed stuff. And they, they were very big on making sure they had the hottest license. They had gotten, um, ET and they had gotten cabbage patch kids early and they did very well with that. So they started branching out into more licensed stuff. So I started there, um, uh, early to early to mid eighties, I guess, and, um, got involved in a lot of stuff. They were called diamond toy makers, um, slash imaginings three. And um, they, as I said, they did a lot of license stuff. They also got into publishing. So they had a line called, um, well, Diamond Publishing, but they were sticker albums on the order of the um, Panini ones where you collect like, you know, 150 stickers and put them in place. And I was a creative director for that too. And all that was licensed. So I got totally immersed in licensed stuff even further there. And then from there, um, someone had told me that um, the lead marketing agency for McDonald's was looking for a creative person and this was about 88, I think. And I went there and I got that job. And for 12 years, I headed up uh, a Happy Meal design team uh, working totally on McDonald's stuff. And um, that was great. And then, and, you know, and then I worked with every, everybody. And then uh, that segued into doing the same thing for Burger King for the last number of years. And in between there, I did a ton of freelance. I did some comic book stuff I, I, for like a four month period of time. I drew the Mickey Mouse Sunday comic page for King Features. I did a lot of freelance, a lot of Christian curriculum for a company called David C. Cook, a lot of giftware for um, Inesco. So that was all licensed to like it was Mickey Mouse. It was Betty Boop. It was Popeye, tons of that stuff. So um, over time, you know, I kind of evolved. I, do, I still do illustration and I always have. But um, it's a kind of a separate discipline to be able to design for plastic and for manufacturing and to accommodate mechanisms or to be made out of a ceramic, like a music box that's going to actually be a pose that would work and not break and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of the run of it. I, I currently am head of a, of, of a design group who does stuff for Burger King, as I did for McDonald's. And um, so that toy, that kids meal stuff has been going on for like 30 something years at this point for me along with, you know, everything else in between. So during that time, I've probably worked on, you know, more licensed stuff than I could probably name in some way, shape or form, either, um, you know, designing toys, designing product, illustration, even stuff like, um, you know, like a McDonald's toy, if it required labels or something, I would do the artwork for the labels, you know, so if it was a toy car with Ronald McDonald driving it, the labels in the window were things that I did too. So it's always been a combination, but you also have to be a a really good um, cartoonist and you have to be very versatile because, you know, one week you're working on, you know, PJ Masks and the next week you're working on Transformers, you know, so it, it changes up a lot. And so I've always prided myself because I, I mentioned I started working at 17, but what really was my obsession was was comic books and animated cartoons and toys and golden books and coloring books. I've always been a collector and I've got a huge collection of stuff, but that was my schooling. And that's kind of why I could just basically kind of go right to work. I, I was going to go to art school, but... I got this job and just kept working from that point. 
So, um, but I've always been obsessed with all this kind of stuff, pop culture. And so as a result, I think I absorbed a lot of different, you know, different cartooning styles in the process, which has served me well because it, it shifts up all the time. To be clear, like like the part the uh, Burger King and McDonald's toys, I was looking and there's like there's a number of them that like really stand out as like uh, like really memorable ones. I was talking to I talked to um, uh, the guys at Varner Toys recently. And we were talking about those uh, those Tiny Toons cars that flip up. Yeah, the Tiny Toons flip cars. Yeah, I designed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like those are ones that I, I that you would have handed. Like, what would like what would your part in something like that have been? Well, uh, just to be clear, I, my my Happy Meal tenure was like 1988 to 2001, and what it would be is the, the way all this stuff works. Really, um, they secure a license, and by that I mean McDonald's or Burger King. They make a partnership with a movie studio, a cartoon studio, whoever whoever it is, Disney, Warner Brothers. In that case, it was Warner Brothers, and. Um, Basically, they give you background. Now, if it's a new program, if something just coming out, and I remember with um, with Tiny Toons, it, it hadn't been on a while. So we get like the show Bible, we get model sheets, we get, you know, uh, rudimentary film clips. If it's a movie feature, we used to go to Hollywood and see the work in progress. So they give us as much background as they can on the characters. And then um, it's up to you to come up with the themes. And, and unless someone, unless a client, you know, actually said, hey, we want this to be plush, or we want this to be, you know, balls or something like that really it's kind of blue sky as to what you do with them and so in a case like that we've got the line of characters and we come up with this idea of flipping the cars over but also designing it i think i remember these pretty accurately every car um representing the character in some way you know so so hampton was i think in a big um submarine sandwich or something like that and babs bunny was a telephone and then the wheels are rotary dials and the 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 body of the car as a receiver so that's a lot of fun in terms of just designing it and making you know making that work and then of course we work with i have a i have a good working knowledge of mechanisms and stuff but i don't know how many gears are inside of something or how many teeth are in each gear but over all these years i i understand how toy mechanisms work and what you can and can't do so of course we work with then sculptors um and and engineers and stuff to kind of keep refining it until it gets to be a, a final product and then gets produced in the you know, millions i guess Another one that stood out to me was the um, the Looney Tunes uh, superhero set where Bugs was Batman. Oh, yeah, no. I designed those too. Bugs, Bugs was Superman? Yeah. Hold on, Bugs was Superman, Daffy was Batman. Uh, Taz Petunia was the Flash. Was, and Petunia was Wonder Woman. Yeah, those were fun. And people rem remember those very well. Um, I'm, I'm friends with a guy named... Um, I'm going to Bill. His name is Bill Laff. And some of your listeners may watch Tune In With Me, which is of the MeTV um you know classic cartoon show and he's a collector and he will occasionally have guests on and he called and said you know i was going to talk about these toys and i realized you designed them do you want to come on i said sure and that was one of the sets that he most fondly remembered collecting was those looney tunes superheroes he loves and the hundred years of disney thing we did which was well like what i liked about those two is like you took off the set the the, the costume and they were a damn good right looney tunes toy the character was straight. I'll, I'll let you in on a secret about that, though, because you always learn. You always learn in the process. So Bugs was Superman, right? Yeah. So the front, the, the front half of the costume is his chest and his legs and the back half is his cape and his legs and the arms on both sides. And you snap them together. Well, if Bugs is in a Superman suit, then he his tail has to be accommodated. So on the back side, the, the cape draped over his tail. Right. There was like a bump where his tail would be. OK. And the cape went around it. And people discovered that you could put the costume on backwards. And the and the and the peg and holes fit in the same place. So the bulge from his tail would appear right at his crotch if you put put it on backwards. So stuff like that, which is I love know, that is unintentional, but stuff like that. Then you know after that, it's like we got to make sure we stagger the the holes in the peg so you can't you know <laughs> nobody can can undo what you're intending and stuff. Like that. And then every once in a while, something you know something would go that way, or someone would interpret something a certain way. The um. Uh, uh, another good one is the Animaniacs ones. They were a good set. I really like those. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, and I was very fond of those. I, I really liked the one of uh, of Yakko kind of riding the tricycle upside down and pedaling with his hands. And there was yeah. uh, at the 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 three pigeons on a skateboard that were like you know scooting along together. Yeah, those were fun. Those were a lot of. Fun. I thought the the Pinky and the Brain mouse wheel or hamster. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and there was a. Uh, I think we did another. The, well, that wasn't that show. It was uh, Tiny Toons, but there was a Go Go Dodo one where he was like in a treadmill as well. Yeah, oh, those were fun. Yeah. To, 
those are fun to work on because you know these are even though they were extensions of the looney tunes and stuff that that so inspired me as a kid i mean gosh i was crazy for the warner brothers stuff um yeah we loved working on that because it was wacky stuff i mean that's the that's in some ways those are the properties that are the most fun to work on because um when you're going to come up with something you know kooky with it the the animators and the studio people love it you know i i remember quite quite often that people let me put it this way. People used to ask me, and I wasn't just me. I had a team of like, you know, um, at one point, seven or eight, generally three or four guys like myself, guys or women like myself, who were just total pop culture nuts. I mean, our offices at, at Simon Marketing, where we did the McDonald's stuff, literally by combining like seven or eight people's collections, and we had everything on display, was, was just like pop culture heaven. I mean, it was incredible. So, um, you know, we all we all love that stuff, but our measurement people go, oh, do you do you uh, test them with kids? And sometimes they do, but we're just like, no, we're like kids. We collect toys. We yeah. know what we know what a kid would like, you know. Yeah. Um, but similarly, the animators and stuff, and we were like this ourselves. I, I want to make a toy that I actually want in my collection. You know what I mean? So, and and the overall viewpoint was, if a kid liked Animaniacs, we want to give them the the coolest Animaniacs toys they could. Because you knew as a kid if something was off, you know, you're not going to put Winnie the Pooh on a Luger or something like that. So um, a lot, and a lot of times the animators, that was a great test. The people at the studios loved to get this stuff. And you'd walk through an area, work area, and there'd be like all your toys lined up on, on their cubicle divisions and stuff. Because they, too, like the toys and like these executions of their characters, you know. You know, one thing I'm curious about is like, and I don't, I hate to sound like like an old person, but like, I feel like that's gone away a little bit. Like. I, I like my daughter. I'll, I'll get her Happy Meal toys now, and I'm like, a. I'm just thinking like, how long do I need to hold on to this until I throw it in the garbage? And I'm not somebody who's like inertly cynical about that, because you know, obviously. But like, there's a lot of these like Marvel ones where it's just the little body and the big head. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the artist, like, for lack of a better way to put it, the artistry and the fun of it. It seems like the mechanisms take place over the sculpt over anything, which I don't understand. And I feel like it's lost a little bit. I don't know why. That will happen. And I'm not, I can't vouch for everything McDonald's does. Um, I do think what you, what you're referring to specifically is um, a lot of the influence of things like Funko because they introduced the notion of people just collecting variations on a theme. So I want, you know, 150 of these, you know, round black eyed characters on my shelf. And the fun of having them is that, oh, this one's Mr. Rogers and oh, this one is, is uh, you know, Voltron or whatever. And I think that I've always explained to people like there's basically two ways to, of, there's two forms of collectability. One is they're all the same and they're variations on a theme. That would be like bobbleheads or Funko stuff where it's like, I just love the format and I just like looking at the variety of all of which are essentially the same thing. The other would be something like you were referring to with some of the um, Looney, uh, the Tiny Toons stuff, which is like um, each one's different and the collectability inherent in that is I want to have all of them because they're all different and they're all fun. I like both formats, but I know what you're talking about. And I, I think that um, particularly with Marvel type stuff, you're, you, you know, there's a tendency to fall back on that collectability thing because it isn't an unknown thing that um, teens and adults will collect these things too if it's the right if it's the right property, you know. And Marvel is one of those things. So you, you know yourself that like if somebody did a Ninja Turtles thing right now at McDonald's or Burger King, while they might have to be geared somewhat to the audience, you know, of the of the happy kids meal age. Um, everybody knows that adults are going to go after them too. I would too, if it was a property that I still was interested in, you know, I kind of dug recently. They did this thing where there was like adult happy me. I don't know if you saw these. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, the, the grimace looks kind of cool. It wasn't my favorite kind of thing, but I was like, at least it was an effort. Whereas yeah, I feel like there wasn't a lot of that. I, I, my observation about that is that um, it made a big splash, obviously. And they were yeah. very hard to get. And McDonald's fandom in particular was like rabid to find them all. Um, and it was, was kind of weird was there were sort of variations on some like sort of an updated or, or based on an old toy. And actually, these were toys. I a couple more toys I did, which was the Halloween Happy Meal, where like the Super Looney Tunes, you got the um, McDonald Land characters straight, but then you snapped on Frankenstein. And, oh, and yeah. Awesome. yeah. So they seem to be based on that somewhat. But then they did that thing with the, the two sets of eyes. Yeah, I didn't get that. I just seemed... like the fact that they made an effort. But even right. then, and, and I yeah. and I can appreciate that, too. I just, you know, but it was like I personally wouldn't want them because the two eye thing just seemed arbitrary and bizarre. But um, but that didn't stop. I'll tell you, I think amongst McDonald's collectors, 
And, you know, you could probably broaden that to fast food collectors in general because it's not like there are people who just collect McDonald's or just Burger King, although I'm sure there are. People generally seem to like that stuff and cereal prizes, you know, premiums if they can get them. Sure. Just the fact that McDonald's was doing something again after those characters have been put on ice, you know, and were no longer being used to promote stuff and everything. I, I noted that people were like all over the like place, like, so excited to get anything with them again. I was looking through this, and by the way, for people, uh, we'll mention, we'll plug it again at the end. But like JimAngle.net shows so much of this stuff. There's some stuff there that I didn't even know. Like, um, there's this one. I don't know if it's Burger King or McDonald's. Uh, Burger King. There was a Simpsons couch gag. Oh yeah, yeah. That's Did one that of my now because I've never seen it before, and I'm like, I need this now. It's amazing. That's, you know, I, I have certain favorite things I've done, uh, and, and that's one of them. And that's we call that the Couchabunga collection. And for those who have never seen it, what what uh, Brian's describing is, it was six toys, which is a typical six toy collection. Five of the toys were sections of the Simpsons couch, and you could connect them in any sequence uh, with each one featuring a character. And what was really cool about that was similar to the the McDonald's Happy Meal toy, which is probably my favorite, which was the fifteenth uh, birthday Happy Meal, which made like a parade of all the characters, Those fifteen different. Products characters but was that the we got we were able to engineer it so that if you connected them all together pushing the button on one would activate all of them <gasps> so for example if you connect all those couch pieces and you push it homer does a like woo woo thing with his arms up in his head marge's hair is bent over slightly and it spins like a propeller bart sticks his tongue out and raises and lowers the tv um remote um What's her name? The, the the sister who plays the saxophone slowly yeah. spills back and forth. But and then the little the baby when the seat cushion pops up and the baby's face is underneath it. So if you you can put them in any sequence, you push one button on one of them. If you push them obviously, if you kick at them individually, the button would make them do that feature. If you collect anything up to anything more than two and all the way up to the five, you can put them together, push the button on the end, and they all work at once, which is really cool. But what I think what really made that fun was the sixth toy we made the TV set. And so the TV set up in front of them and that dog, what's Santa's little helper? Yep. Um, when you push it, when he pushes head forward, the, there's a canister inside the TV that spins and essentially changes the channels to like itchy and scratchy and, oh. uh, and uh, Krusty the Clown and the news guy in blanket on his name. So yeah, that, that was a lot. Of, and the reason you probably never saw it is, I, if I'm remembering correctly, that was strictly an international program. So there's a oh, lot of- it's so cool. I, I don't, I can't recall if it was done in the US. Maybe it was, but some of the stuff people will go like, because we did like, for example, a King Kong one when the movie came out with some really cool toys, but that was strictly for the European market. And and, and most of the agencies will do stuff for different markets, or most of the uh, fast food restaurants do stuff for different markets. That Maggie is particularly ingenious, the baby in that. Yeah, like, yeah, that's fun, isn't it? It's so it, great. It, it just looks like a couch section and then the, and then the pillow goes up, yeah. I what like I like about this is because like the only things I collect at all anymore are turtles and I, I have the uh, some Muppets because I love the Muppets. Um, I've done some Muppets stuff. Yeah, I saw that. I saw I, I actually it's funny enough. I was doing a, a yard sale and getting rid of a lot of shit this past weekend. And um, I I found the little uh, Miss Piggy bath toy thing. And I was like, oh, I'm not getting rid of this. Like <laughs> I kept that and, made, and gave it to my daughter. Um, there was for uh, 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 Treasure Island. Yeah, yeah, we did Muppets Treasure Island. And then I, I wanna I see, I mentioned before, sometimes there's opportunity to do actual artwork versus just designing a three-dimensional thing. So the under three toy for that was a vinyl um, bath book. I think it's four pages. Oh yeah, I see it here, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's Kermit and discovering a treasure chest and then Gonzo's inside it. And I did the artwork for, for that, for example, that was a printed piece. Yeah. Oh, that's what that is. I see it now. Yeah, it's a little inflated or whatever. Like, yeah. It's that's... got foam in the middle of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's so cool. And like, I love the Simpsons one, not to go back to it, but like the Simpsons one, like what I like about it is it kind of like, I said, I don't collect much anymore, but this is cool because it kind of stands for the whole thing. Like the, the couch. Right iconic if you get all six of these like maybe that's the only simpsons thing i need right is that it's a nice display i agree with you and and, yeah. and there, are, there are aspects of that that i like a lot about certain toys so even if you never touch the buttons or did anything with it it's the iconic you know opening of every simpsons episode they're sitting on the couch in front of a tv you know and, and is that it stands alone also as a nice display piece yeah yeah it's brilliant i gotta find this i mean hopefully it doesn't cost me a fortune because now i'm like I, I didn't know this existed an hour ago and now i'm like oh shit now i need it all <laughs> Um, so speaking of, uh, I wanted to get to Ninja Turtles. So how did you sure. make your way to working on, uh, turtles? Like, cause I, like if for, and for the audience to know, like, so if you are not quite sure, like which turtle stuff I'm talking about, um, 
the number one thing I could probably point to is folders. So like there was a particularly uh, like a lot of your stuff was on folders, school supplies, backpacks, things like that. It was the like happier, chunkier (laughs) turtles that like I felt your artwork and Ken Mitroni's were the two that I was like, those that I, I didn't like, I, I, and I eventually learned Ken's name before yours because Ken's was on a comic book, but yours was not. Sure, right, right, so like, right. I, like those are the artwork I really like because they were like just sort of like they just glowed in a way that some of the other ones oh. did. Well, I'm happy to hear that. You know, I my I'm I'm a, I'm a fan and I'm influenced by many forms of cartooning, but my favorite humorous cartoonist is a guy named Walt Kelly who did the Pogo comic strip, which had a really beautiful inking style to it, a lot of nice cross hatching and stuff like that. Similarly, I'm a big fan of The Spirit by Will Eisner, if you're familiar with that, which is probably one of the ultimate achievements in comics as well. And Eisner did a lot of great cross-hatching and stuff. So one of the things I've noted, I think, with the people see in my style when they when they recognize it or even just wonder who did this, is um, that I brought my inking style to a lot of this stuff. And I viewed working on licensed character stuff as like, okay, I don't really want to ape the model sheets or the style guys and they give you all that stuff i want to put my spin on it right so i mentioned that i was working for this company called diamond toy makers slash imaginings three imaginings three so diamond toy makers actually made toys and stuff and banks and things imaginings three was more like in the in fabrics and school supplies so what they produced were a lot of um when i first came there they did a lot of vinyl kids wallets sometimes they had lenticulars on them like the transformers you know which shimmer and change and so they did wallets and they they got into um, school supplies. So we did um, the, the two pocket folders or are sometimes called trapper folders that have a three hole punch so you can put them in a notebook. And so it's a first of all, what's nice about that is just a big canvas. It's a it's a big piece. You know, it's like a, a big opportunity to do a nice piece of art. That same art was used on, on spiral notebooks and backpacks and then things like wallets. And you just had a pencil case that had some of it. Um, so basically, you know, stuff a kid would take to school. So um, I I um, I enjoyed working on all the licensed stuff that I did there. Ninja Turtles doing that stuff to me was I looked at doing all that stuff as like I want to make a piece of art that you know it's it's like a um, it's iconic. You know what I mean? Like it it could be a T-shirt, it could be a backpack, it could be a book cover, whatever. I, I loved old Dell comics and the comic covers I've done over the years are things like that. They're like standalone pieces of art that could have been album covers, could have been T-shirts. So I approached the turtle stuff like that. And obviously, there's certain givens about the turtles, the pizza, the weapons, the posing, and all that stuff. So I just set out to make like some really iconic visuals with these guys. And yeah, they are they are very um, upbeat because generally my stuff is very upbeat no matter what i'm drawing and um and that stuff came out in the late 80s now at the same time um i was also because other people i think there's a little bit of crossover people who discovered that i did this ninja turtle stuff also then were like well did you do the nintendo stuff that same company did and i did mario stuff and legend of zelda stuff for the same same products and the same kind of kind of a focus right so um i enjoyed doing them you know i it wasn't a ton of stuff i think maybe there were I think there were four particular pieces that turned up on most of those items. And then there was a big kind of a, a panoramic one of the characters in an alley standing over a bunch of the, uh, a bunch of the knocked out bad guys that, that was used. I love that one. Oh my God. I think that was so for a kid's suitcase originally. If I'm not was for, Cause I, I don't remember it from when I was a kid, but I was looking up your stuff earlier and I was like, yeah, wow. that was my, that's my recollection, my understanding of it. So, um, so now, you know, it's kind of interesting to me is that, but I'll just put it this way. When I was a kid, I recognize the art of people I loved instantly. I may not have known their names. I may not have found out their names for another 20 years, but you know, we all, I think we all know this feeling stuff just leaves an impact on you. You like it, you know, it's like, this is perfect. I love this. You know, I didn't really realize, I never would have guessed in a million years that um, there was a group of people or people of a certain age for whom if they grew up loving the Ninja Turtles, they experienced the Ninja Turtle stuff I did. And it was, and it was, you know, it left a big impression on them. I discovered that almost by accident when, um, one of my uh, Facebook friends is a great cartoonist named um, Aaron Hazuri. Yeah, um, he's a good friend of mine, actually. Like, okay, well, you know, he, we were Facebook friends, and I came, you know, you know how you get these notices on Facebook, like your name was mentioned in this or that. So I just go, I'm curious as to what it is. Sure, yeah. Well, he posted a picture of one of those uh, one of those notebooks, 
and um, people were going, well, who did the art for this? You know, is it so-and-so? He did the art for the, you know, for the Pop-Tart box. Whatever. Is it so? There's all this guessing going on, right? And then, and then I, I look, and then a little ways down this big, big thread of like, yeah, we got to figure this out. I loved this when I was a kid. That was the most, that was actually the most gratifying part. People were just like, oh, I had a bunch of these when I was a kid. I just love this. This is my favorite. I learned how to draw the turtles from this, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and Ken Matroni, who you just mentioned, says, um, I believe this is the work of my pal, Jim Engle. And so him putting my name in the thing made me find this, this thread. And I confirmed, you know, that yes, it was me. And then, and then a bunch of people like, I oh, you know that's just follow like, I had this, oh my goodness. Oh, I've wondered this for years. Oh, did you do the Nintendo stuff? Blah, blah, blah. And so, uh, and then I found out later that Aaron bought the original art to one of them from Heritage Auctions. Yeah. And I, I remember many years ago at the uh, Chicago Comic Convention where I always had a table doing caricatures and selling my art and stuff that I had sold two of the two of the five pieces that I did. And at that time, whoever I sold them to, I also gave them the pencil, you know, pencil art rough. And I think probably an actual folder because that's how it turned up on hair. So after he told me he bought it off Heritage, I went and looked and saw the listing and there was all this stuff. And then there was another guy who bought the other one. And Aaron was like, oh, you know, my phone wasn't working that day or you wouldn't have gotten that. And uh, and I don't know. You know, it was just great. I, and as a result of that, uh, and I know the other day um, on National Turtle Day or whatever it was, I just posted that art on my Facebook page. Aaron moved it over, you know, shared it over on his and, you know, said, here's some really influential turtle art from from the 80s. And I was like, oh, that's really flattering to me. But the, whenever people comment, they they tend to say similar things like this, this image was, you know, etched in my mind all my childhood or whatever. And that's, that's very gratifying to me all these years later, you know, so. Aaron's been a friend of mine for a few years. He actually designed the logo for my uh, podcast. And, oh, I uh, saw that. Yeah, it's great. He's great. Yeah, he's really good. And I actually, when I first, the first time I met him uh, in person, because we've been friends online for a while, and then I met him in person a few times, he brought all of like a huge folder of artwork, including those ones of yours. Oh, really? And saw these oversized things. We were in this, like, it was just this beautiful work. And it was so, like, it was cool seeing it that size, too. Like, it was cool. Like, I, I, I the ones I grew up with were the uh, the one with Rock City in the foreground and the turtles in the back. Right, right, right. And the one with the four turtles coming from the different directions. Right. Uh, yeah. Around the like logo. That. And the one where they're bursting out through that, that rift seam. Rift. Those are the three that, like like burned in my mind my favorite now is probably the one with them in the alley because the alley one is a i love bebop and rock city as characters and this is a lot of fun and it's just a great beautiful piece i, I don't remember if i saw it as a kid but it's fantastic i don't know I, as i tell you you know some of the stuff i looked at the dates on it and i think that some of the actual product came out after i'd left there and already gone on to the mcdonald's stuff um yeah there was a fourth one i think where the uh each of the characters is coming in from a different corner so like two are up, upright and two are upside down and the logos in, in the middle. Yeah, that's um, the folder I had, that one. Yeah, and you know, and 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 Ken Matroni is a guy that, uh, you know, um, I don't mind being lumped in with Ken Matroni because I love Ken Matroni stuff and always have from the time I first discovered it. Um, he's, a, he's a kindred spirit in terms of, I think, the kind of stuff he likes and I like, and he's also a big Ratfink fan, which I am as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's great. And I could see, I could see why, you know, there are some similarities in our style, so I wasn't totally surprised sometimes when people said, I think that's Ken Matroni. There's a distinct difference, though. You're like I, I, I and only because I, I, I know Ken and I, I, I've gotten to know his artwork a lot. And again, like his is from the comics. And I knew, like his are a little slimmer and a little more, more like. Um, I, well, you also got to see a lot more of his for turtles. Oh, too. sure, for sure, yeah. I mean, my but like yours were like that sort of chunkier, happier thing, which I like. Again, I found it to be like there something about them was super like how restrict it wasn't. I'm guessing it wasn't very restrictive back in the day. Like they like because I know they had style guides and a lot of uh, uh, Steve Levine's work and Ryan Brown's and things like that ended up on everything. And those are probably the most iconic turtle images from those days because they were on everything. But like how strict were they about what you were allowed to do back then for freelance? It was a whole it was a whole different world in the 80s for everything, <laughs> for all the all licensed character stuff, even for these toys. Um, I'll give you an example. When I first started doing um, licensed character stuff, if it was Disney or Warner Brothers, they'd send me some style guides, but they didn't have a ton of stuff. Sometimes you just got model sheets. As you were asking, I was trying to remember what I would have had from Ninja Turtles. It probably was a rudimentary rudimentary style guide. But style guides were originally intended to allow other artists 
to do work that was essentially, you know, kind of on model, as you know, quote unquote, so that it fit, you know, it was acceptable in their style. It wasn't for the purpose of here's a here's a catalog of art, pull this drawing out and stick it on here. Yeah. So I lived, I my career sort of spans what model sheets were and style guides were intended for to what they become became now. And so, um, you know, you could, there was a time when if, uh, well, I did, I did Disney stuff for Imaginings 3 too. So if you needed a Mickey Mouse wallet or backpack or any of this other stuff we're talking about, um, I could draw Mickey Mouse and I put in whatever pose I needed for that. And that was acceptable. Now licensed properties are so controlled that um, they don't leave any of that up to any chance or review. You get basically a catalog, you pick from it. I can remember when the Disney movie Pocahontas came out was when it really sunk into me that like, gosh, this, that same drawing, I just saw it in the store on a bath towel and oh, look, there it is at the checkout on a magnet. And there's, and I, I think what's bad about that is that it homogenizes everything. Obviously it gives the licensor complete and total control. You know what I mean? But as a kid, the kind of stuff I like would be, you know, if you showed me five different Donald Duck comics from the, from the, 40s, 50s, or 60s, I could tell you who the five different artists were. Now, they were all trying to do a standard Donald Duck, but style style is style, you know? That's why you can see differences between my stuff and Ken Matroni's stuff. Today, it's so rigid that it's like, you know, you can't use any art that doesn't come out of a style guide. You mm. can't buy it. Some licensors won't even allow you to change an arm position. Some won't even allow you to flop the art, like flip it from facing right to facing left, even if oh, the wow. character even if the character is completely, um, you know, symmetrical, that it wouldn't, would make no difference. Um, so you can't do a lot of this. So when I did that stuff, this is what made it fun. This is why to this day, I remember it being fun because you did have the leeway to do what you, what you, you could come up with a pose you thought was interesting. And you were trying to do stuff you hadn't seen before. You're not, my goal would never have been to like duplicate something that was in the book. Then you could just pull it out of the book. You know, my goal was to do put my stamp on it and to do, do a composition or something that was fun. And then those days you could do that with almost everything. Disney was, Disney has always been a little more rigid, but for the most part, you could do that. Nowadays, I would say almost everything I work on that's licensed, you're going to get a distinct style guide. And that, I, as I said before, I think that homogenizes things. I think it ruins things. I, you know, I collected Disney comics my whole life, but in the seventies, eighties, nineties, I wouldn't collect Disney comics because everybody was so slavishly imitating the model sheets that no, no individuality of the artist came through, you know? And so therefore it was just another licensed prop, um, licensed item that I didn't really care about. I liked being able to tell the difference. You know, I like recognizing, Oh, I like this guy's mighty mouse or that guy's bugs bunny or whatever. And, uh, you know, and that's always affected my collecting too, because I, I collect things on aesthetics. So I was on a TV show called, um, collector's call it's still on it's on me tv and they they visit a collector and they go through their stuff and so you'd have somebody like me whose stuff was like all over the map i collected all kinds of characters and all kinds of stuff or you'd have somebody who had you know uh, uh, bought a separate house so they could put their fifty thousand winnie the poos in the house you know but the problem with that for me is i collect winnie the pooh stuff i have some winnie the pooh stuff but i it's just aesthetic i like it because this is a good one yeah. 99 of all the Mickey Mouse things ever made are crap. They don't look right. They're not, I wouldn't want them just because they're Mickey Mouse. I don't believe in that kind of accumulative collecting where I have to have every single thing with this character on it because most of it's awful, you know? And then to me, it just sort of waters down the cool stuff, you know? So I guess that's a long way around saying that, that with less restriction and less input from the licensors, um, I I set out to do something that would be fun for me to do if I'm working on these characters, you know, and and that wouldn't be the case. That wouldn't now be it feels like stickers almost, where it's like the same stickers of everything are fit on right. every. Right, right. But see, when I did stickers, even if they were licensed, I, know I did some Gumby and Woody Woodpecker and different things like that. I drew all of them. So if there are 15 yeah. images on the page, I set up to come up with 15 cool images and for them you to did be some things. Stickers to... then? Didn't you, did you do turtle stickers? I did not do turtle stickers. Okay, because there's a few good ones from back in the day. I, I I'm just trying to remember now. Yeah, but, I did a lot of I did a lot of stuff that was just in my own style, literally like sheets of like give me a sheet of monsters or dinosaurs oh, that's or whatever. Cool. Sure. And and then some licensed stuff, but not a ton of not a lot ton of licensed stuff. Now, when you did turtles, I'm like I, from what I understand, because I've spoken to another a couple of other artists, uh, a guy named Guy Gilchrist and a couple of others from back. Oh back. sure, I know Guy Gilchrist. And uh, it was basically just like the, the, the Mirage Studios was just like busting with things to make. So uh, there was a lot of overflow for freelancers. Is that the situation you were in? 
Um, yes and no. I, the company I worked for, I was a creative director for when I did this. So I, I worked at Imaginings 3 when I did this stuff. And that would be okay. a current property we'd have made a deal for and I would have to produce product for it. But what you say is true. I mean, I did some I did some Muppets freelance stuff. Some like I remember doing a kid's scarf and a Kermit pillowcase and bedspread or, or sheets. Yeah, there was a lot of it. And to, to get back to what you were asking before. So when you said it was a lot of freedom. You would, you would send, I would do, okay, I don't know. Let's just say we had a license to produce four different products with artwork on it. I might send, you know, eight or nine roughs to them and they'd pick the ones that they wanted. So it's not like, I don't want to make it sound like it was, we had carte blanche. We didn't, right. but once, once, you, once yeah. you sent the concept and got it approved, then, you know, you'd send back the final art and they'd get it approved or color, whatever. I recently came across another, t another turtles um, rough, which I think I posted on my Facebook page where they're all kind of standing not quite back to back, but they're kind of receding two in the front, two in the back, and there's a big shell background. And I and I, when I found it in my files, I'm like, oh, that must have been another. And I know it was another design I had for that, you know, for the turtle products and stuff. So I'm yeah, you just buy it for you, buy it from me if you want to sell it. I'm sure he would. He's given. He's he's pretty much told me whenever I want to sell anything. <laughs> he's also the guy that taught me if I want to sell stuff, I'll just give it to Heritage. <laughs> and you guys can all you guys can all fight it out amongst each other. Um. Do you have any licenses that you are particularly fond? Like oh, you, so you worked on everything. Is there any one or two that you're particularly fond of for whatever reason that, like, you're a favorite to work on? Um, you know, I have I have favorite. Like I mentioned before, that Simpsons couch is definitely one of my favorite things that we've done for Burger King. Um, for McDonald's, we did a thing for. Um, well, there was a the the fifteenth birthday happy meal which is the 15th anniversary of the happy meal what made it interesting was that the other thing about licensors is they they don't really want to be part of any project with each other you know you're not going to see a lot of project with bugs bunny stand next to mickey mouse unless it's roger rabbit or something sure. so what happened then was they just sort of negotiate with these people like look we're celebrating our 15th anniversary and we want each toy to be a different one of the many great properties we've done done series with so so et was in it you know and and um, muppet babies was in it, and barbie and hot wheels were in it and uh and looney tunes and stuff that's sort of unprecedented so um that was fun i also i'm obviously i grew up with you know disney disney and warner brothers were probably two biggest influences from a cartoony standpoint and uh we did a hundred years of disney collection that was essentially just pvc figures on bases but when I was a kid, I had these toys called um, Mark, uh, Mark's Disneykins, which were little little characters, probably an inch tall. And they did a ton of Disney characters, and you collected them. And so these things for us working on them were kind of like um, were kind of like Disneykins for adult, like when we were big. You know, they're now three inches tall. They were great. They don't do anything. They just look great on a shelf. And it's an example of what I was saying before, where you collect something and line them up, um, it's beautiful. Um, the stuff, the stuff that uh, um, we've done for um, Burger King. I don't even. Sometimes I don't even have to care for the property. I know. I, I know. Like I've never been a fan of Scooby Doo, uh, just for whatever reason. I think it was too <laughs> old to care. But one of my favorite Burger King things we ever did was a Scooby Doo thing, and this was for the international market too. And basically, it was um, figurine, plastic figures of Scooby Doo. Each one was him dressed as a different classic monster, and so. If it was Jekyll and Hyde, it actually had two faces, a front and a back face, as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And when you turned its head, it made a ratchet sound, and you could put whatever one you wanted forward. You know, Frankenstein, the arms went out, Dracula's cape opened. My favorite was the mummy, uh, because if you, it was sculpted like it was wrapped in mummy things, but there was an actual piece of fabric coming out on his hip. And when you pulled it, it made his eyes go back and forth in his head. And they all had glow in the dark eyes, which worked great for a, for a monster thing. And that's just that, you know, so I don't have to, you know, again, I don't have to love Scooby-Doo. I do want the kids that love Scooby-Doo to, to re be really happy with what we did. So you kind of immerse yourself in the properties to do the best job you can. But um, th that was fun. So it, sometimes it's a combination of, hey, I just like this character. And sometimes it's a combination of whether I'm crazy about this character or not, marrying this character with the right execution is really, really fun, right? I'm not the biggest fan of the Simpsons in the world either, but I was cognizant of the fact that this would be a nice iconic way to treat the Simpsons. Oh yeah. And if you like the Simpsons, this would, you know, this was gonna be a really good Simpsons toy, you know? I just um, found that Scooby-Doo set and it's great. Uh, and I don't like Scooby-Doo either. And I'm like, this is cool. This is very cool. So. <laughs> and uh, there's a, a uh, Jeffrey Pigeon, I believe is his last name. I may be getting his first name right. He's a great animator who would take photos of toys and post them on, on his Facebook page for all, but just 
Are you familiar with the designer Chip Kid? He does these great art books where yeah, he worked for Tops, right? I don't know if he did or not. He might have, but he he got he gets really close to you know. It's like the kind of guy that takes big close up pictures of a Charlie Brown original where you can see the actual fibers in the paper and stuff like that. I may and have interviewed him before. I can't remember. Jeffrey Page yeah, post toy photos like that, and we, you know, like sort of like just you know, you can see the parting lines where the front, but it's just it makes it really cool. And what I was flipping through his stuff once, and he had one of that mummy toy, and I thought, oh, that's really cool. I would, and you know. People find some of these things as one-offs. They don't even know where it came from. They don't know that it was a set. You know, somebody's at a, at a flea market or something, and there's that mummy toy, and they just pick it up because they think it's cool. You know, so. But uh, I, I pretty much like all the classics. You know what I mean? It's like, um, and the term in licensing generally for stuff like that is um, evergreen. You know, the Muppets are evergreen. Tom and Jerry are evergreen. You know, uh, Looney Tunes are evergreen. That just means every generation knows them. And so it's always fun to work on something that I actually grew up with and actually influenced me. But sure. I also, I, there has also been new stuff that I you know, just came out a year ago that I've worked on that I liked, liked as well. So. My last question for you is, because I asked this of everybody, uh, who's your favorite turtle? Do you have one? I don't. Um, I don't. I, the, there's, a, um, there's a great, web, I'm going to digress. There's a great website called Mouse Heaven. An incredible uh, artist and collector named Mel Burncrant collects classic Mickey Mouse stuff. And it's just the coolest. If you're interested at all, it's just worth going to look at the photos. It's called Mouse Heaven. He, he states that he's not in love with Mickey Mouse per se. He likes Mickey Mouse from a design standpoint. He, okay. he likes the era. He likes the pie cut eyes. He likes the shapes. So um, I do not have a favorite Ninja Turtle. Um, what I have is, is like just a sense of their aesthetics, you know, and I, I used to go because of my job every year, I'd be a toy fair. Right. And you'd go to the, um, was it, is it playmates who had the turtles license toilets playmates, yeah. playmates. So every year I'd go to the playmate showroom, you know, as part of the McDonald's uh, marketing team. And it, it became a thing where I just love to marvel from year to year, how they kept this thing alive, you okay. know, I like, oh, look, they're Star Trek characters. Oh, look, they're monsters. Oh, now we're shifting the design style completely. And it looks, you know, it looks nothing like, and they've obviously they've gone through a number of, of, of visual aesthetics. I like, I like some of the recent ones where they were uh, three-dimensional, but they had little cracks in their skin and stuff like that. Um, I don't know who designed them stylistically, but I liked them a lot. So I tend to see stuff that I like, oh, I, I know what this is based on. I like the way this has been interpreted, you know? Yeah. Maybe similar to what you're saying about why you might like my drawings. It's just like a million people are drawing the turtles, but you're gonna like certain ones, you know? So um, I like, I like I'm, I'm intrigued by that. And I'm also, after all these years, intrigued by the fact that um, it's just interesting to watch as a viewer how how continually properties just keep coming back you know strawberry shortcake oh, yeah. um, hello kitty the turtles the turtles are a great survival story if nothing else you know it's just it's just amazing and then and then you know that evergreen thing when you get to a certain point when you're doing like the stuff that we do um parents are making the decision to buy these things oh, yeah know? my I, kids I, inducted the turtle stuff she had no choice not maybe. kids right so yeah. so but when you're when your parents go Oh, I love the turtle. Hey, Bobby, look at these are those guys I loved. And they they buy their kids the same thing. And you alluded to one other thing before I, 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 I was going to stop you there um, about the you said something about contemporary sculpting or something. You didn't always like one of the first things I learned and I really didn't get this before I started working on fast food toys. I would buy a Happy Meal because I like the characters. So I remember buying a Happy Meal. It was a Bambi one and it had Thumper in it. And I was like, why are Thumper's ears going out sideways on his head like propellers? Like, why aren't they going up, you know? And I learned when I finally started working on this that all of these toys, because, as I mentioned before, like, it's not a purchase. It's free with a purchase, right? So the the safety requirements on a premium are way higher than the, than the average toy where they can just go not for kids under eight or whatever uh, because it's free. So it's going to end up with a kid regardless. So the restrictions are way greater and there's all kinds of gauges and stuff that these things have to go in. So I got to be able to force this turtle's head or torso into a gauge that either his head or his arm stops it from going through because this gauge approximates a kid's throat. So there's all these safety things. So sometimes if you, if you aesthetically question the sculpt on something, it may be because that's the only way to make it at that size and have it be safe. That's why, sure. <laughs> that's why a lot of characters are posed with like one arm up in the air or something. Yeah. You know, because, 
because you know if you suck Bugs Bunny's head in the gauge, his ears would go all the way through and you choke somebody. But if he's got an arm there, it prevents both from going in. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff, which I, I didn't understand until I started working on it. And then and then the challenge becomes, well, how do I still try and maintain the aesthetics as best I can? Because I want the character to look right. But you know what I mean? But a lot of stuff I questioned before I started doing this work, I realized now what was going on. I think there might have been more creative solutions to the stuff I didn't like, but that's a big part of it too. Uh, since I know you're a Marx Brothers fan, then what's your favorite Marx Brothers movie? My favorite Marx Brothers movie is uh, Horse Feathers. Really? Uh, okay. I'm Duck yeah. Soup. Horse Feathers is up there for me. Uh, yeah, Duck Soup is not as high on the list to me as others. I am. I saw the Marx Brothers like a lot of people my age, junior high in Chicago, like so I think it was in seventh grade. On New Year's Eve, it was standard for Channel 7 to show a Marx Brothers and a W.C. Fields movie. And I had some older friends that liked the Marx Brothers, so I tuned in. Got hooked on the Marx Brothers. It's been an obsession ever since. I, I do artwork for the Marx Brothers all the time. I When I was doing greeting cards, I used to sneak them in or they would actually be featured on them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I met Marx. There's a Marx Brothers. There's a guy named um, like Frank Ferrante who's like the premier. Yeah, he he's the, the Groucho guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one-man Groucho guy. And some of my Marx Brothers cards got posted on the Marx Brothers Facebook page, Marx Brothers Council. And he was like, I had these when I was a kid, you know, and then people like it's it's just like your turtle thing. It's like, oh, I, I bought anything, March Brothers. So I had those cards. Um, but yeah, uh, Horse Brothers is my favorite and it's got the best music. I like I just like everything about it the best. And when my wife and I got married, um, my wedding gift for my wife was a 16 millimeter print of Horse Feathers because oh, I collected films back then and in, in, in the pre home video days and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's whatever funny. it is, I'm against it is. is yeah, that's that's, that's also. I like 30s music a lot, and I really like music of the Depression, which was always trying to be upbeat and chipper because, sure. you know, everybody was jumping off buildings. And Everyone Says I Love You is one of my favorite songs, is my favorite song from any March Brothers movie, but it's also the only time that in the movie every March Brother performs it. Harpo plays it on the harp, Chico plays it on the piano with his own lyrics, Groucho plays it in the canoe with Thelma Todd, and Zeppo sings it to Thelma Todd. And I think it's a great song to begin with, so... You don't usually get that kind of yeah, in a way. It's not funny. It's just very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the lyrics are clever, but yes, it's, yeah. and it's just cool. It's great. I think that's the quintessential Marx Brothers song for me. I even have fondness for like little ones he would sing on "You Bet Your Life," like Father's Day and things like. That. Oh, Father's Day is a great song. Yeah. And Father's Day was was written by Harry Ruby, the same guy who wrote um, um, "Everyone Says I Love You." It was it was oh. also a comedy writer. Was one of their movie writers. So yeah, Father's Day is a great song. I I post it every year on Father's Day. Because it's so perfect, it's so funny, you know. Yeah, it's very sweet, and funny. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, Jim, I'm all set here. Uh, I okay, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for talking to me. This is great. Oh, you're welcome. I had a really good time. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Everyone Bye-bye. says I love you. The cop on the corner and the burglar too. The preacher in the pulpit and the man in the pew says I love you. Everyone, no matter who, the folks over 80 and the kid of two, the captain and the sailor and the rest of the crew says, I love you. There are only eight little letters in this phrase you'll find, but they mean a lot more than all the other words combined. Everywhere, the whole world through The king in the palace and the peasant too The tiger in the jungle and the monk in the zoo Says, I love you Sing a high, huh? Yes, I have a falsetto voice. That's a funny. My last pupil, she got a falsetto of teeth. Well, maybe for the first lesson, it's a better if you don't sing. And if you don't sing, I think it's a much better yet. I'll sing. Everyone says I love you. The great big mosquito when he sting you. The fly when he gets stuck on the fly paper too says I love you. Every time the cow says moo, 
She's a making the wolfie very happy too. And the rooster when he hollers, the cock the dooly dooly doo says, I love you. Chris, the Colombo, he write the Queen of Spain a very nice a little note. And he's right all over you, baby. And then he get himself a great a big boat. He's a wiser guy, what do you think? Colombo do. When he's a come here in 1492, he said to Pocahontas, goo. That means you little son of a gun, I love you. <laughs> Maybe it's a better if I don't sing too, huh? Yes. All right, I'll play. I love good music. So do I. Let's get out of here. Sit down. I've got to stay here. But there's no reason why you folks shouldn't go out into the lobby till this thing blows over. And remember, all you're to get is football signal. Keep your bill out of this. How would you like it if I buttered into your affairs and laid an egg? 